Hi, this is J.P. Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, as I speak these words, it is Easter 2021, so happy Easter to all those who celebrate it. I do have an Easter message prepared, so obviously this will be mainly for the Christians out there, but I hopefully it will be accessible to anybody who hears it regardless of their faith so if you don't mind indulging me um, let me just start out with uh, my Easter message at this time last year it must have felt like we'd never get past the pain and sorrow associated with Good Friday and on to the joy of Easter, at least not in our everyday lives. When we think of Good Friday, we think of Jesus' scourging, his pain and suffering on the cross. We think of the immense grief his mother and followers must have felt. Many of us were going through our own pain, bearing our own crosses. Coming at the height of a global pandemic, for many, Easter 2020 might have seemed like a weak bomb for their sorrows. It was a time of fear and uncertainty. In America, our own government broke its most sacred covenant with its people and stripped the rights of religious freedom from many of us. We had undergone the loss of employment, the ability to be with our friends, and even may have lost loved ones. At this time of year, we celebrate a different covenant not one with our leaders on earth, but our Father in heaven, one which can never be abridged or revoked, thanks to his son's sacrifice on Good Friday. Because of that sacrifice, we can celebrate through Sunday. After Good Friday year, we can at last celebrate an Easter year, a year of rebirth and renewal. We slowly return to normal just as the world slowly returns to life in the spring. Imagine being one of the first few witnesses to Christ's return. The sheer joy they must have felt. This year, with the grace of God, we can witness the return to some sense of normalcy, just as Jesus' followers rejoice at being reunited with their friend and teacher, having for a short time lost him. We can look forward to the return of being with our friends, relatives, and fellow worshipers. This year, we may dare to keep the spirit of Easter in our hearts long after the official season of Easter has passed. And may God bless and keep you this Easter season. And so thank you for that indulgence. Um, I think that was uh, hopefully was accessible to those even if you're not a Christian or you're not uh, much religious at all um, so on that note um, let me explain how this relates to everyone uh, as I mentioned in my message we are in a cycle of renewal and rebirth when it comes to the COVID-19 crisis we started in the autumn of normalcy, then we entered the dark season that marked the death of normalcy and freedom. 
we are now entering into the spring where freedom and normalcy are slowly coming back to life. And thanks mainly to vaccines and of course the return of nice weather in the Northern Hemisphere in America and other countries by the end of the actual spring, there could be enough vaccine availability that anyone who wants to be will be fully vaccinated. At that point, who will we be maintaining the restrictions and mask mandates for? Okay, so, I mean, what I'm talking about here is as the vaccines have become uh, more common and more available to everybody. At some point, the vaccine is going to be who wants it, and everybody who wants to be um, will be able to get fully vaccinated. And at some point, everybody uh, will be fat, fully vaccinated who wants to be. And so at that point, the question then becomes, well, who who am I wearing this mask for? Who am I um, staying away from the bars and the movies and the restaurants for? Um, who, who am I keeping my restaurant open at 50% capacity for? I think these will all become valid questions in the not too distant future. Because uh, at some point, you know, if everybody who wants it can be vaccinated, then that makes ha catching COVID-19 virtually optional. And so, should we really um, uh, end or uh, miss out on any of our liberties that we used to have? Should we? miss out on the sense of normality, normalcy that we had before the pandemic struck for people who don't want to be vaccinated? Um, that's the question. Uh, now, of course, we realize that there will be a small amount of people for various reasons, medical reasons, can't be vaccinated. And, of course, you're free to not be vaccinated, but you're also free to um, receive the consequences, positive or negative, of not being vaccinated. So, but I think those people would not expect the other people to, um, you know, uh, keep up with mask mandates or uh, not go to work or or not enjoy uh, the company of others or or you know Fourth of July celebrations or something like that. I think most of the people who choose not to get vaccinated because it's their the freedom not to, I think most of those people, I think, understand that that's an individual choice and they, they have individual responsibility in that matter and wouldn't expect the rest of us to have to um, end any of our, our feelings of normalcy or get back to work uh, full scale at that point. So, but uh, seeing how things have gone in the past, uh, we know that every time there's some positive uh, development um, that, you know, they always seem to 
Um, it used to be, you know, just do social distancing. Then it became wear a mask, and then it we, we were promised that you know the the end will be near once the vaccine is developed. Well, now we have the vaccine. Now they're they're saying, well, first of all, they're saying, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci in particular is saying, you know, maybe wear two masks. Um, and so they're they're doubling down on that. And also, they, they're wanting to uh, uh, strengthen up some of the um, the work restrictions in some places and lockdowns. And there's always this constant threat of lockdowns. Uh, and particularly, uh, I know our friends in the United Kingdom, they've been, uh, you know, severely... Uh, lockdown since basically the beginning. Now they have a large uh, percentage of their population vaccinated, and so they're at, on the verge of asking this question already. Maybe a few weeks or a month or ahead of us in the states. You know who exactly are we um, keeping the pubs closed? Um, keeping the employment closed for uh, who exactly are, are we doing this for now if you know first of all if almost all of the older people almost all of the infirmed have been given the vaccination and that's um, the large percentage of, of deaths that are being caused by COVID-19 then who exactly are we doing it for or we don't, are we doing it so that a 20-something doesn't, um, you know, you know, come up, up uh, positive in a test for COVID-19? A test that might, you know, already be um, very uh, inaccurate or fairly inaccurate. You know, is, is that what we're doing it for so that the people don't come up positive on a test? When was, since when was that? the standard for any disease before this since when was that standard that you simply don't get the disease you know you simply don't test positive much less um, come up with symptoms for the disease since when does that become the the norm since when does that become the standard um, it should be the standard I said at the very beginning of this crisis back in March of last year um, when I f well actually April of last year when masking became mandatory at least where I lived in public you know, I said even then you know the mask wearing a mask in public is not a normal act it's an abnormal act it's an unnatural act and we should retain that feeling so if you remember that first time you went out in public wearing a mask, you know, maybe you're worried about, you know, looking silly. Is everybody else in the store going to be wearing a mask? Am I going to be the only one in the store not wearing a mask? Um, because it was not normal. And I think we would do well, actually, to retain that feeling that wearing a mask is not normal. Uh, it may be necessary, but... 
it is not normal and we should not it should not be normalized now that doesn't mean that for people who feel they need masks or for people who are still under mask mandates that you know there's something wrong or they should be derided or were made fun of in any, any way I mean you know a person could be wearing masks over out of an overabundance of caution they could be sick they could be some sick with some other disease you you don't know um, so they, they could actually be acting quite responsibly by wearing masks so uh, you know listen to what I'm not saying I'm not saying that if you want to wear a mask even in the months to come you know if you're feeling sick or, or you're unsure of yourself that you know you should have any problem with that just understand that's not the normal the moral is to go out in public and not wear a mask um, alright so enough said on that and the summer will come both in uh, my COVID-19 metaphor and in the actual world and in the summer in many countries uh, COVID deaths plummeted in uh, particularly in August of 2020 this year with the vaccines we could be racking up goose eggs in some states and countries across the world particularly in the northern hemisphere where it will be summer uh, we may even have weeks without a single death in some places maybe that might even become the norm that will that many states will have no recorded COVID-19 deaths. Um, particularly those who were most sensible and inoculated the ones most at risk. Um, the elderly, the infirmed, and those people who take care of those people. Uh, those states who did that um, should see a dramatic increase in deaths even if they see uh, not much of a change in cases or even if there's a slight spike in the number of cases uh, as the number of inoculations increases the number of deaths should uh, correspondingly decrease um, and of course you get your most bang for your buck uh, if you inoculate those people, particularly at risk, and those people who take care of them. Uh, but as I've said before, I've dedicated the uh, majority of a podcast a couple weeks ago on the belief that I'm optimistic about COVID-19, um, us returning to normalcy um, after more than a year of dealing with this pandemic. Uh, in a few days, I know uh, several states in the United States will be at the one-year anniversary of mask mandates. So, and President Biden says we might have to go back to mask mandates, or states have to go back to mask mandates. Ninety days. Um, you know, first of all, where is he getting ninety days from? What does my, what does ninety days mean? You know, what did 15, or what did 14 days to slow the spread mean? Or, you know, uh, what was it, uh, 30 days more 
to uh, flatten the curve. What did that mean? So when he says 30 days, what's, what happens at the end of that third of that 90 days when he talks about uh, further mask mandates? You know, I wish some reporter uh, in a, a news conference would ask him that specific question. You know, if you say we should go back to wearing masks for 90 days, well, first of all, many states in the union have been under mask mandate of some sort for almost a year, uh, much more than 90 days. Uh, that didn't do away with the COVID-19 crisis. So why would uh, wearing masks for another 90 days help any more than it has? How, how, what happens at, in the 90 days? Do you make a promise that no more mask mandates ever uh, from from the government, what happens at the end of the 90 days, and I think that's the problem. They've moved the goalposts so much that it's, it's really a joke. And when a politician, particularly a president, says something like that, um, we can't take them seriously because they cannot give any definitive um, reason for us to do it. They say, well, you know, we're all in it together. Uh, and if you wear a mask, or if you now if you get vaccinated, it's your patriotic duty to get vaccinated, etc. Um, but then they say, well, you know, they you have to do this to return to normalcy. And of course, you know, what happens if we return to normalcy? What if you're in the state that already doesn't have normal or a mask mandate? What if you're in the state that uh, has no lockdown, has no COVID restrictions to speak of. You know, what, what, how do you entice those people? Why should those people um, enter into a mask mandate at that point? Um, and, that's, and that's what the government does not want. They don't want to lose that control um, over the people. You know, they want to, they, they believe that their rhetoric or you know through their rhetoric it shows that they believe that uh, this nebulous distant promise of returning back to normal depends upon us taking the vaccine um, well no it doesn't um, as a matter of fact uh, what depends upon us returning to normal uh, with or without the vaccine is whether or not really we uh, we want to uh, go back to normal bad enough. Uh, how much are we yelling? How much are we willing to uh, willing to uh, yell and holler about getting our our rights back? How much are we um, willing to uh, protest if if need be to get our rights back? You know, how much are we willing to do that? Now, that's a different question than um, how to we return to normalcy and have, you know, pre-pandemic safety levels, pre-pandemic health levels. So there, there are two different questions there. One is a question of returning to normalcy. One is a question of returning to normalcy with something like pre-pandemic uh, safety levels. Um, 
that's probably what we should be aiming at. But at any rate, um, I think they make a mistake. Uh, well, they've made a series series of mistakes going back to the beginning, um, not being honest with us with the mass for one, creating, creating that feeling of distrust. So you told us one thing oh, a couple weeks ago, now you're contradicting yourself. And now we know, yes, we were told that we weren't required to have masks in the beginning so that we would not hoard masks and other PPE uh, so that the first responders and the doctors would have them. So you've already uh, shown a willingness towards duplicity when you, you make these things, when you say these things. But um, realistically, now that um, the vaccines are out, I think, you know, I don't think you get that genie back in the bottle. I think that, you know, once a state does away with its mask mandate, it's very hard to get that genie back in the bottle. It's very, very hard to convince people again to uh, wear a mask again. Or if, if they were currently going to school or going to work, it'd be very hard to convince them again to stay away from school or from work. Um, my personal prediction is I think that what will happen is um, when states return back to normal, and as more states return back to normal, it's going to be harder and harder for the remaining states to justify to their people that, hey, you know, that, that state next door that you can be in uh, in 20 minutes and not have to wear a mask, that, that state 20 minutes away, where you don't have, have to wear a mask, well, you have to wear a mask because um, you know, we know better or you're too stupid to follow directions or you're incapable of following the directions or uh, the other state is foolish. I think the more and more states that uh, loosen up on the mask mandates, um, loosen up on the restrictions, the harder and harder it is to get that genie back into the bottle and people are just not going to want to go back. Another thing is that as the vaccinations, people become fully inoculated, um, either with two doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine or the one dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine um, or in, you know, the AstraZeneca vaccine once you're fully uh, vaccinated um, with, with the AstraZeneca vaccine for those who live in those countries or whatever, you know, you might have the Russian vaccine. I don't know what that does to you, but, you know, hey, if hopefully it works for them. But, you know, once everybody is fully vaccinated, I think people are going to start asking that question that I talked about. It's like, hey, why am I wearing this mask? I'm, I'm vaccinated. I'm fully inoculated. Um, you know, the vaccine that I took was 94% effective. It was, or it may have been 95% effective, 
or it's 66% effective, but no one in the trial had ever died from COVID-19 after being inoculated, which is the case with the uh, Johnson & Johnson single dose vaccine. Uh, and this is all public knowledge, you know, take my word for it, you can do your research, uh, and I encourage you to do so. Um, you know, look up all of the major vaccines available in your country and see what they are uh, and see what their effectiveness rate rates are and then uh, look for unbiased sources of information that are not trying to sell you one way or another and are trying to give you just the facts. You know, if the facts are that that this vaccine has proven effective against the uh, existing variants. And this vaccine, uh, I believe the Pfizer one, uh, Pfizer is now claiming that the vaccine is good for at least six months after taking it. Um, remember, nobody knows if the vaccine is good for a period longer than that because no one has had it in their body for longer than that or at least virtually i mean maybe maybe there are a few people early who were tested early on but virtually nobody has had their the vaccine in their body for that long but you know if they're saying that if it if it's um if it's good for six months that means that doesn't mean that you're you're there's a cutoff date exactly six months to the day and after that cutoff date you're back to zero and you have no immunity it doesn't work that way uh, more than likely there will be um, some sort of um, uh, if you looked at it at a graph you'll, you'll see some sloping down over time that might be a precipitous slope over a matter of weeks could be a matter of months um, could be even a matter of years. We don't we don't know yet. Nobody knows. Um, so if, if someone tells you, and then that's what happens with a lot of this information, you know, uh, Pfizer puts out an announcement saying that their vaccine is well, is believed to provide effective uh, immunity for most people for six months that turns into the Pfizer vaccine is only good for six months, which is not, you know, it's actually not the truth. That's not actually an accurate way of, of, of understanding the information, but that, that's the way it happens. So just be aware of that when people state things that, as facts, um, and this is good for any area uh, that requires critical thinking, you know, you have to question where they got the facts what those facts mean. Are they making an assumption or are they making a proven statement? Uh, you'll find a lot of times people are making assumptions or inferences and uh, they could even be making uh, assumptions based on um, faulty, a faulty um, understanding of the information. So just be aware of that. But that goes for pretty much anything, not just the COVID-19 vaccines. 
Um, but anyway, getting back to more of the positivity of the Eason and the, the uh, feeling of renewal that comes with the spring is I don't think we're going to go back, at least not in this COVID-19 crisis. We're not going to go back. I think, um, uh, for instance, during the summer, uh, many countries uh, in the United States, um, if you look at a graph of Sweden, uh, Sweden back in last August, um, August, September time frame, um, there, the numbers of deaths there were in the single digits and they stayed in, in single digits for several weeks. I think this time around, as I mentioned before, those are going to be uh, zeros. I think we're, we're going to rack up days, if not weeks of zeros. So I think there is room for optimism and when we see the numbers, and so all you have to do is go to, I believe it's worldometer.com or worldometer.org. But anyway, if you if you, you can look up the statistics, you can see for yourself that the numbers bottomed out in many countries around uh, July August time frame last year, and I don't think. Um, once they bottom out this year, um, well, last year there was a resurgence. We had a major spike, you know, that started kind of around the holiday season. And, you know, people people were gathering together for the holidays. And also people were staying inside more. And so just a natural cycle of the way that respiratory illnesses um, go um, you know, they, they tend to increase um, sometimes dramatically in the, the winter months. Um, this year, there's going to be um, inoculations, so I think it's going to be harder for the disease, um, particularly if there's no major new variants that, you know, if there's, if there's no new major uh, mutations to disease then I think those numbers will, will stay down and then hopefully we'll have you know even better therapeutics um, maybe we'll have a few more approved vaccines by then and so we can break the cycle I think realistically again not being an expert but just seeing the pattern um, if you see other diseases and the way this disease goes, uh, it could be that, you know, we will return to normalcy, but the price will be that maybe, you'll, you know, depending on the, the, what, how you were inoculated with what brand, uh, you may have to get a booster shot from time to time. I don't think scientists know yet. Uh, how long it'll be before or if you ever need a booster shot but they don't know yet but just you know just to control expectations that's something that could be possible and so even though we may not have to worry about COVID per se again you know God willing for the rest of our lives 
um, that doesn't mean we'll never ever receive another uh, COVID-19 inoculation again. So just be aware of that. It's kind of, you know, say that in the spirit of controlling expectations. But besides that, I think that, you know, I mean, the proof will be in the pudding and we'll, and we'll know probably by December of this year, you know, you know have what the trajectory once and for all of, of the disease is going to be, if it's going to be a yearly thing. Uh, if you're, if people are going to have to get COVID shots the way that people get COVID, the flu shot uh, every fall or every winter um, nowadays, maybe people get the COVID-19 shots or you'll have to get a COVID-19 shot to enter some sort of country. Uh, which of course leads us to the subject of COVID-19 passports. You can probably already guess that as a libertarian slash American conservative that I'm against the idea of the passport. Um, some people have made the fallacious argument saying that, well, you know, you need a, uh, I don't think it was a call, it was a, like a yellow fever um, vaccination, proof of, a proof of a yellow fever vaccination to, to go to some Central American country or some country somewhere. And so that, to them, was their defense of having a COVID-19 or a, yeah, a COVID passport, so-called COVID passport. Um, now, it's one thing for a country to require a certain vaccination uh, before you enter in that, into that country. Uh, sometimes um, the country you live in, you know, the United States of America, may require you a certain vaccinate to have a certain vaccination on this side maybe it's not required um in the other country but they it's required here but you cannot equate that with a vaccine passport in the way that's commonly being referred to which means you need if you want to go to say to a concert or a bar or um, some other entertainment venue, you know, the idea is that you'll have to show a, a vaccine passport. Well, it's obvious uh, if you're being intellectually honest that those two things are not the same. Your passport, your vaccination record required to go into a different country you know, you don't, most people don't go to different countries, foreign countries, every day on a regular basis. You know, not in the same way they might go to a bar or a a um, concert venue. So, an intellectually honest person would see the difference, the clear difference between these things. And recognize instantly the fallacious argument of the false equivalency. And so beware of that. Um, it's an argument I've seen online. You've probably seen it too. Um, just know that when, when in most countries, 
they speak of uh, vaccine passport, they're talking about um, probably something, an app on your cell phone that says you've been vaccinated and it's okay for you to go to this concert or movie hall or uh, theater or wherever where, where people gather in large numbers. Um, I'm against that. I mean, obviously, you know, there's another, you know, logical fallacy called the slippery slope. But in some cases, the slippery slope argument is applicable. And I believe this would be one of those cases. Because once you start requiring uh, proof of vaccination for one thing, well, what's stop them from uh, uh, requiring it for another, you know, say like the flu? Maybe there'll be an outbreak of swine flu again, or something of that nature. You know what happens? What happens then? Once you establish that precedent of requiring vaccine passports to do common everyday activities with other people, you know once that pre- that what pre- once that pre- precedent is established. Um, that's it. There's they, again talking about getting the genie in the back in the bottle. There's no getting the genie back in the bottle once that precedent is established. Now the problem with with the vaccine passport that most people would point out, and I think it's quite accurate, is you know if if it's probably not going to be mandatory, or at least that's the consensus. I think. Um, it would be something that they would say, like a concert venue or a bar, could require, you know, like kind of where like wearing a mask is now. They could require uh, a vaccine passport, passport the way they do um, uh, mask wearing. Um, the problem is that is the one bar down the street that doesn't require any sort of passport that's the one that's going to get all but all the business and it's going to take the business from the uh the bar down the street that does require it or the or the concert venue the other concert venue that does require it so either you're going to force some sort of collusion between venues and bars and restaurants which kind of unlikely I mean, you can maybe say that there's it's possible with uh, some collusion would be with you know concert venues because it's usually you know uh, groups or music groups that are going on tour throughout the country, and it's usually one or two ticket agencies that control the whole thing, and with the uh, single ticket agency. Uh, controlling an entire series of concerts in, say, 20 different cities, then it would be easier to have some sort of collusion between the venues to require passports or do something exclusionary. But for, like, the, the corner bar or for a restaurant, I think that would be almost suicidal because inevitably... You know the the bar or restaurant down the street that doesn't require a passport, they're going to get the business. And particularly in, in that sort of environment, you have to figure, what is it? It's mainly younger people. 
not exclusively, uh, particularly with, with restaurants, but with bars, clubs, and stuff like that, is younger people. You know, there there's not going to be, um, I would think, uh, you know, people, numbers of COVID deaths being racked up um, from the bar, you know, down the street, let's say. Um, so there, there's not going to be any real hard data point that the competition can point to and say, hey, oh, look, the bar down the street that doesn't require passports has had all of these COVID cases and people have died because they went to this bar. Uh, in the case of COVID-19, at least, you know, if it's a younger crowd, the crowd that, you know, we frequent these venues anyhow, mostly, you know, they're not as susceptible. Now, for another disease, like the common flu, that would be different, but for COVID-19 specifically, you know, there's not going to be, um, there's, you're not going to have any of that hard evidence. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, it works the other way too. I mean, the businesses, like if one business is taking care to sanitize all of their services, uh, maybe they they can uh, boast that all of their staff have are fully vaccinated, um, and they can do you know positive things to attract people, and that way that can attract people because no one wants to be the business that's known for COVID nineteen outbreaks. Um, you know, no one wants to be that bar that gets associated with COVID nineteen outbreaks. So. There's already an impetus, um, just from the good business standpoint, to do positive things for to attract people. But uh, when it comes to COVID-19 passports, I, that that works a different way. That's more of an exclusionary thing, where you know making your bar more clean, providing outdoor dining, more you know more. Um, options for dining inside, outside, takeout, uh, that sort of thing. You know, when you do that, you're you're doing an, an inclusionary thing. Uh, but with vaccine passports, is it's an exclusionary um, exercise. And I think that the bars and restaurants, probably the movie theaters, also will opt for continue on that model because that's what's worked i mean um there was a hairdresser somewhere um person had covid19 didn't know uh served like maybe like i think like maybe a hundred or so people i'm not sure don't quote me on that but they served a lot of people in that particular uh beauty salon and none of them apparently got COVID-19 or none of them were hospitalized at least for COVID-19 and so that proved that you know when the when the hairdresser wears a mask when that the environment is kept clean when the waiting room um is kept empty or you know or you know let you're allowed less people uh, to wait when you encourage things like making appointments uh, ahead of time, doing that sort of thing, you know, that works. And 
that inclusionary model rather than the exclusionary pass passport model that's being talked about. I think that's the one that most businesses are going to opt for. And I think that's the sensible business thing. So, but that won't stop people from talking about the COVID-19 passports. Now, obviously, there are companies that would stand to make a ton of money if this passport, this COVID passport thing would would uh, become mandatory or, or widespread. And that's what, that's, let's be honest, that's what they want. Um, you know, if you're developing a COVID-19 uh, passport app for the iPhone or for the Android phone, you know, you want to, you're going to lobby the people in your state or in Washington, D.C. to pass these requirement laws. But um, I, I don't think that there'll be much support for that in most of the retail industries. Um, I think they figured it out. You know, they've had a year to figure it out. It'll probably be more than a year pretty soon for them to figure out. And, you know, if, you know, they're ready, they're, they're comfortable with the steps they've taken, you know, the, the steps to uh, make themselves more attractive, um, compared to the competitors um, rather than the exclusionary model of the passports. So that is something that, to think about. But again, I think the trend is going to be, you know, hopefully um, toward greater freedom. And, you know, it's, it's, I'd like to think that most people have no intention of going back ever um, to the way things were uh, last March and April when there's uh, the hysteria around this pandemic. I mean, even if, okay, it seemed to make sense at the time, um, there was a bit of hysteria. We didn't know what was going on. Now we know what's going on. Now we've settled on ways to deal with it that everybody is comfortable with. And so I don't think they'll ever be going back to a hard lockdown situation. So hopefully I'm right about that. But I think, you know, we'll be, most people will be very wary. Uh, but uh, also uh, we should be cautioned um, because though things are looking up, for on the COVID-19 front uh, when it comes to the chronic existential crisis of keeping America a constitutional republic we are in the autumn in this uh, four season model that I started with with faith in ourselves and our creator this too shall pass Christians and Jews have endured much greater tyranny than what some of our current political leaders have in mind for us. And yes, some of us, some of them do have some degree of tyranny beyond what we are experiencing now for us. Um, don't kid yourself. Uh, they're not done. Uh, some of it very recently, uh, referring to, of course, uh, the Holocaust, uh, purges, 
uh, to ethnic cleansing in uh, Europe, Central Europe, uh, a few decades ago. Uh, the Chinese Revolution with the Maoists and the Cultural Revolution. Um, so, and of course, there is the rise and fall of the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc countries. All of that uh, happened in living memory of people alive today. And so it's, it hasn't been that long, and some people are, are still going through this. Christians are the most uh, persecuted minority, most persecuted, most persecuted people in the world, actually, currently. Uh, and this takes place mainly in places like China and the Middle East. Um, so be cautioned. Um, keep the faith, spread the word, and endure. Because unfortunately, I said the when I say we're in the fall of our um, economic and political freedom that entails that things are going to get worse before they, they get better. Uh, so it will be incumbent upon us, particularly uh, those of us uh, who subscribe to um, our, our religion, uh, who have hold religious beliefs, that we keep the faith, um, spread the word, and endure through it. And as the scriptures say, this too shall pass. Um, but it could be a, a long haul. Um, we don't know yet. Um, even the non-religious should be aware. Religious freedom is a low-hanging fruit for those engaged in tyranny. Okay, so we know that not everybody subscribes to a religion. Therefore, uh, people in different churches, and there's no... Most, at least in this country, in some countries, uh, have majority religions. Um, yeah, the, the Catholics are a majority religion on uh, most of uh, Central and Eastern Europe and South America and, and I believe still in Mexico, uh, Central America. But um, there's no one majority religion. And so, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. And so it's an easy target because there's not the cross-religion organization to protect all um, religious liberty. And so that makes it an easier target. Uh, the lack of cross-denominational or cross-religional uh, lines or an organization is not very strong. Um, we had an organization called the ACLU, which was supposed to look out for that. Uh, pretty much has given up on that mission. Uh, there's another organization called the ACLG, by the way, which I highly endorse. The uh, American Center for Law and Justice um, is a very excellent organization. I, I suggest you uh, check into them. That does fight for religious freedom, but they, they, there's only so much they can do, and there's only so many relationships, uh, so many organizations such as the ACLJ. 
that you know you can get involved with or or donate to or work for or have take your case for you in the case of religious freedom so um, religious freedom is a low-hanging fruit that's easily um, squashed by uh, would-be tyrants but we already know our freedom to assemble uh, in other areas I mean you, know, you can't go when's the last time you went to a concert very few of us have been to a movie in the last 12 months almost none of us have been to a concert um, maybe a few of us in some states have been to a bar or been to a restaurant probably have not been to a packed bar restaurant in some time uh, even if you've been to one of those places it was probably not very packed but that's that's easy that's an easy one for uh, religious liberty is one um, but they've also managed as I said to eliminate other freedoms particularly our, uh, our First Amendment freedoms freedom to assemble uh, freedom uh, freedom of the press our, our right to free speech that's under assault and um, all that we consider not natural rights life liberty the pursuit of happiness first second fourth fifth amendments etc are all in danger and probably to that list I would uh, add the 14th amendment you know the part of it that assures every citizen equal protection under the law obviously there's plans to uh, give make some citizens more equal than others to um, use the uh, analogy for from animal farm you know the all of these uh, liberties are in danger and so even though okay we're in the spring so to speak of the COVID-19 crisis we are still in the fall we haven't hit the winter yet of our uh, what I would call the chronic uh, existential crisis of keeping America a constitutional republic we are still on the downward slope on that we have not bottomed out I'm afraid on that course so we just have to keep the faith um, and just keep getting the words out and and just make sure that you are educating yourself listen to this podcast listen to other podcasts that you believe in or read books on the subject um, inform yourself keep yourself informed um, through all the various media um, that, that's what you need to do and for as long as you're allowed to uh, if you have a blog or a podcast of your own uh, and as far as far you know, as allowed to for as long as I'm allowed to I'm going to put out the word the truth as I see it as I understand it to be so I'm going to do that I encourage you to do that as well uh, may come down just uh, good old-fashioned uh, passing out pamphlets you know like Thomas Paine's common sense back in the 18th century I mean that worked I mean and we might have to resort to that again you know you might have 
might have to dust off your old um, leather and paper Bible. Uh, you might have to invest in actual physical books. Um, may, there may be time when you know you can't speak online, and you'll have to. We'll have to come up ways like back in the old days. So, like the, like I said, you know, the common sense pamphlet that we put out in the time of the American Revolution. We might have to resort to those methods again. We don't know yet. But be prepared for those days. But anyway, I don't want to end up on a bleak note because it is a happy day, particularly for Christians around the world. It is Easter Sunday, at least as I uh, give this message to you. So, and that, try and end with a positive note and say that this can't last. It can only last if we allow it to last. Um, even these abridgments of our rights, they can only last for as long as we allow it. And then, I believe the natural course of things is for the pendulum to swing back toward freedom, and God willing, that will happen uh, sooner rather than later. But, uh, Stay healthy, stay healthy, and stay free as free as you can. And enjoy those freedoms and be very reluctant to give back any of those freedoms that we get back as the pandemic, we come out of this pandemic. Be very reluctant to give back any of those freedoms, um, be it for this pandemic or in the future. So we'll leave it at that. Um... Again, thank you for listening. I hope, um, even for those who are not Christian or not religious, hopefully this has a lot of this has been accessible to you. Um, and we'll get back to more of the standard fare of political things next week, I promise, because I really want to talk about the things that are going on with the Georgia election laws uh, and that the wokeism around that. It's ridiculous. But that will, we can save that. Um, but you can follow that online. I am talking about that online on libertyrelearn.com. Uh, if you're following me on Rumble, uh, if you're following me especially on uh, Facebook, you know that I'm already talking about these things. Uh, so look forward to hearing more about that. Uh, particularly with regards to the Georgia election laws and the lies that have been told about that. It's ridiculous. But thank you for listening. Uh, if you like this podcast, share it with other people. Tell other people. And again, stay healthy. Uh, 